Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 1234 in Welcome back, everybody. Oilers Now, Bob Stoffer with you, where guests receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff that Oilers Now sent you. Well, normally, uh, normally on Tuesdays, it's Mark Spector, but we got a game seven, Toronto at Boston. Craig Simpson, lead analyst for Hockey Night in Canada, uh, is uh, getting ready. He's pumped up. He's jacked. He's stoked. It's going to be a kicker. I've used all those words far too often on the show. Hello, Craig. How are you? I'm great, Bob. How are you? Good. And uh, I guess, is this the way it's supposed to be with these two teams? What do you think? Well, it sure seems like it. It's uh, kind of a foregone conclusion that I thought uh, this would be a tight series, a close one. Uh, The fact that the Leafs had the opportunity in Game 6 to win at home, though, I I thought it might have gone away from the last two times these two teams met and having to come back here for Boston. But, you know, to their credit, I I think this shows how evenly matched these two teams are, and uh, it wasn't a total surprise that Boston was able to get it done in Game 6. Um, how much, if at all, did the series change when Nazem Kadri got suspended for the series? Well, it changed. Uh, you know, I, I think last year, last year it probably changed a little more. I, I don't think the Leafs were very well suited. They didn't have the depth uh, when Kadri went out. Uh, you had to use Thomas Placanitz in a role that he wasn't quite comfortable with, and uh, Moore had to play as well in a, in a bigger role. And so uh, I think the fact that they had uh, the ability at least to move Nylander into that third hole center spot and you have the, you know, Matthews a year older, a year more experienced than Tavares in that uh, top role. It's allowed them to stay competitive. It's allowed them to continue on and not really think or, you know, I don't even think we've talked about Kadri since uh um, you know, the suspension came along. So it is one that uh, definitely changes the series just from a matchup standpoint and a depth standpoint. But I think Toronto is much more uh, uh, equipped to handle it this year than they were last year. 
It's a series where the road, you know, each team's won two games on the road. And I know the Maple yeah. Leafs haven't won three road games in a series since the 50s. I don't care. Like, I don't know about you, but I think Toronto's, frankly, got them right where they want them. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a comfort level. There's no question. When you come into a Game 7, and if you haven't beaten the team in three games on the road, it's kind of hard to have that internal confidence that you can go in and play a great game and try to get out a win in Game 7. So I think from just... Uh, uh, make the players uh, a little bit more at ease, have a little confidence. Uh, I, I think, you know, it almost even uh, takes some of the game out of the hands of Mike Babcock in terms of overreacting to his matchups when you're on the road. I think you have to have some faith on your guys that they can handle a, a matchup that's maybe not ideal. And I think sometimes that can work in the favor of the players. Like, just get out there and play your best game and let's not get caught up into who's going out and uh, and how much you have to really play that matchup game. So I think, you know, the Bruins would much rather be at home, I would say, uh, in this Game 7 than be back in Toronto. But I do think there's a, a calmness and comfort level from the, from the Toronto players' perspective that – uh, they can produce and they can perform here in Boston. I want to talk about Austin Matthews because I thought that there might have been a couple Boston writers jump the gun a bit on his performance through the first right. first two games. Do you agree or disagree well, with that? I, I think yes, but I think it, it was really uh, a carryover from last year. You, you know, Matthews came back in, didn't have a great series, had just a goal and an assist in the seven games. So I think from their perspective, two games into the series, and you're going, oh, this is you know Toronto's top guy, and he's got one goal and one assist in nine games, and so that's not good enough. So uh, I, I think, to his credit, it, it showed some of his maturity. His comments before Game Three in Toronto was one that you know I felt it was coming. I felt my confidence is there, and since then he's probably well, he's been the most productive Leaf player, anyways, and I think he's shown an ability to to get a little more gritty to to play in those harder areas to compete a little more for those pucks and uh there's no question he's been a threat and you would expect here in a game seven uh that that he'll be dangerous when he's on the ice can i ask you craig are david pasternak and jake debrus completely right to you because to me it looks like they're you know what I mean? Like they were so good last year, so dominant in that series, yeah. and they and I, I, I they both got some injuries late in the season, and I don't know if they're a hundred percent. Hey, and I know everybody's heard. Well, of this I, yeah, I was gonna say I, I doubt anybody's at that hundred percent level. So I, I think again, though, I think Jake's games has progressed. He talked a lot about trying to get a little confidence back early on. He had uh, had a few chances, but but wasn't playing his. You know, there's a there's a young kid that last year in the playoffs developed a reputation as being hard to play against, uh, winning good battles all over the ice, and in the Toronto series specifically, and in Game Seven he had a pair. But you know, five five goals in your first playoff series and a Game Seven win, uh, you know, develops a bit of a reputation that you can play in that style. So I thought the last. Uh, the last two games, even though he finally scored in game six, I thought game five he was a factor and he was more playing that style that uh, you expect to see. Pasternak is, I, I still think he's such a critical player for them. He makes so many good plays. Uh, I thought Bruce did a good job of 
forcing his team to change their game a little bit, splitting up that line, and then he'll put them back together with uh, Marchand and uh, Bergeron as well. But I think that's given Krejci and DeBrusque a little life. They have really good chemistry as a unit as well, and it's created a secondary threat for Boston that, in quite frankly, in the first two, three games, they didn't really have. I lost you there, Bob. Are you there? On a sec, Craig. Uh, do we, that was on me, Craig. Help. Yeah. Okay. I said, who's the pressure on right now? Thanks, Brendan, for catching that, by the way. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think the pressure's on Toronto. You, you just go back with Game 7 on the road. Uh, you know, they had a, a 4-3 lead again last year uh, going into the third period. And, you know, if that happens again, there's the pressure. Uh, the the uh the Leafs throughout this uh, season are 38-0-1 when they have the lead going into the third. So, you know, you, you just you, you can't look back at history and say that it has anything to do with now. But I, I just think from a confidence standpoint, the Bruins feel pretty confident that they should be able to win here. So I think the, the pressure pendulum is, is on the Leafs because they had the chance to, to finish the series and avoid this scenario uh, by winning game six, and they weren't able to get it done. Yeah. Uh, I did chuckle, Craig, when you sent conflicting tweets directed one uh, your way, uh, one from an <laughs> irate Maple Leafs fan and one from an irate uh, Boston Bruins fan, and I'll uh, relay to you, uh, we had a provincial election here, and I know you've been on the road, but I'm, I, I know you're well yep. aware of what happened. And, you know, most Albertans, Craig, are probably in the 80 to 85% center. You know what I mean? But it was it was interesting because 25 or 30 years ago, I would suggest that maybe guys to the right were a little bit harsher, uh, could, it, could at times have a nastier tone when they sent you a message. And what I've, what I've seen in the last, uh, certainly at this election, is some of the younger demographic to the left, if you don't 100% believe in all their ideological perspectives, um, they will come after you. Uh, but I, I, I've never bro- – look, I broadcast games for the Oilers, so I suck when the team's bad. You know how that works. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and let me tell you, I can suck all on my own on any given night. But uh, I don't need the Oilers to play uh, poorly to, to make that happen. I'm half joking around. But do you get a chuckle out of stuff like that? Does it just make you shake your head when people are hating on you on Twitter and guys are hating on you for the exact opposite thing? Yeah, well, it happens pretty much every night. And I think that just, again, shows you the reaction of of fans. I mean, fans see the game in their own perspective. And uh, the reality is, and on many of those nights, it's often if your team's not playing well, yeah, all of a sudden you're against them. Uh, Our job is to present the game and, uh, you know, you react accordingly to what you see out there. So uh, it's just another example of the the vitriol that happens in Twitter, though. Twitter's not really uh, something that we're worthwhile to spend any time uh, absorbing because if you did, you, you'd drive yourself crazy. But uh, there are a few times where it's hard not to, to raise an eyebrow and say it's a completely different look at the way uh, one fan watching and cheering for one team reacts and the other cheering for the opposite reacts a different way. We're joined right now by Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Your Game 7 experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think back. Uh, 80... uh, three as a three as a player, yeah. And back, uh, Ni- go back to 90. Uh, 1990 against Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, I, I felt that 
we really wrestled that game back or that series back in game five. So game seven was another one similar to this, Bob, where you know, Winnipeg had the opportunity at home uh, in game six to knock us off and they weren't able to do it. And so, um, you, you know, you, you get that little bit of an edge. And I thought we were in control of game seven. Uh, the most disappointing one was we we're up three games to one against Los Angeles in 89. And, you know, to lose three consecutive games is, is really a difficult pill to swallow. And game seven, we just couldn't get traction. We had a couple of bad penalties and, uh, you know, they were able to knock us off. And game, uh, the last one that I played in was probably the best example of how quickly things can change. 1991 yes. against wow. Calgary. We were down 3 nothing in the first period. And, uh, you know, it's, it's another good example how the game uh, can just completely do a reverse and kick scored at the end of the first period on a bad goal. And we got some traction and got it into overtime. And Esther got his hatchet goal in a, in a big winner. So uh, another good example. You know, it's hard doing the games. And sometimes when you, when you say to the fans again, you're in a game where one team's up by two or even three. And you're sort of foreshadowing, you know, this is a really important stretch, whether it's in the late stages of the first period or in the middle of the second, because I've just seen too many times that you play so well early and get off to a big lead. It's hard to keep that focus and intensity. And as soon as the other team gets even one goal to make it 3-1, the game completely changes. So that's what I'm intrigued to watch tonight. And I, I was saying to Jim Houston today, uh, you know, the one thing you can't think of as a player, you, you always have a little pit in your stomach and nerves going into a game seven. But the thing you can't focus on is the result. You can't be thinking of the result and can't be thinking, oh, we got to win. This is what we got to do to win. You really do have to think about your game and every shift and what you can do. And when you're playing your best, what, what makes you good and try to go out there and play it because – you know, you start thinking about the end result and you lose the path of how you got to get there. And I, I think that's sometimes where teams, when they get up early in a game seven, you can't help but think the ending. And uh, oftentimes you get lost in the journey to get there. And that's where teams have been able to turn the tide and, and create a huge momentum swing within such a tight game. That 91 series... Um against the Flames. I mean, that pitted the last two Stanley Cup champions going at it head-to-head. And what I recall is, was it game three or game four where Dave Brown started the lawnmower, to paraphrase uh, Darren Detition, on Jim Kite? And you, But you guys were definitely up 3-1 in that series, and then the Flames won game five at home, and then they came into Edmonton. They, the, they got the flurry goal in game six, right? Yeah, in overtime, yeah. And... Sure. and- you know, sorry, on that note, there, there's another example of that was Metz who had a bad uh, he was cross-ice, pass, yeah. cross-ice pass at the offensive blue line that Fleury picked off and went in. And, you know, here we go again after, uh, yeah, you know, having control of the series and they're right back into it. And, and that's another good lesson of, you know, you didn't need to say much. It's your best player who made a mistake and they end up getting right back into the series. And you just got to focus on you as a player and getting getting ready for the next game and, and erase those memories and try to always keep it positive going forward. Craig, what I remember is I had uh, worked 
uh, out east uh, in the summer of 89 and the summer of 90. And I had a bunch of friends that were going to like McGill and Queens and stuff, and they would be calling me after the game each because nobody had text messaging back then, right? And they're like, I can't believe. Like these guys were like, that's the ugliest series I've ever, like, got every chance you got to finish a guy. I mean, remember when Messi elbowed Natris yeah. in the face? I mean, it was like it, it, it was like rollerball on ice, wasn't it? It was the hardest series I've ever been involved in. And, you know, you always say about the attrition of the of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was a true just battle every single shift. We played against the same line. You had the same guy you were battling against every single shift, every single night. And as you said, there are two teams that had a lot of respect for each other, but also the rivalry was there and the hatred for each other. And so, yeah, there's no question. By by the end of that series, you kind of felt like you – I know you had played seven games, but it kind of felt like 14 because right. uh, there, there was not uh, a tentative moment at all throughout that whole series. It was a real – uh, you know, even even though it was a tough one physically, it was a pleasure to play because, you know, that truly is the kind of battle that you hope you can aspire to get into, and that's what makes winning the Stanley Cup so special is coming together and everybody really doing their part to, for each other to try to, to try to make it happen. Can you contrast the emotion of watching Wayne Gretzky and, and the L.A. Kings roar back from 3-1 down in 89 and losing in 7? after you won the Stanley Cup the year before. Contrast that to rallying from 3 nothing down in Game 7 in Calgary on a night in which Tikkanen gets the hat-trick in winning the series. Yeah, they, they all have different emotions, though, you know, because they, they come at different stages in whether it's your own career and where the experiences you've had or you collectively as a group, uh, you know, where you feel i would say 1990 as a group we felt we could win the stanley cup and we we felt we could get back there so coming back and winning that just crystallized our commitment to each other that it was worth the effort to continue on the journey 89 was probably the best thing that happened to us and, and maybe one of the reasons why we were able to win the next year in 1990 because it cut the ties we we didn't play wayne gretzky like we would have played uh, Mario Lemieux or sure. you, know, you you name it, uh, Jeremy Roenick when we were playing Chicago or Steve Eiserman when we were beating uh, Detroit. We let them off the hook. We weren't nasty with them. We didn't finish our checks on them. And in the end, we thought we could get through a 3-1 lead and just continue to roll on. And Glenn Sather, uh, I'll never forget, because Wayne scored the empty netter and went dancing up the middle of the ice. Yeah. The only comments that were made at the end of that game in the room to us was, you know, I want you to remember all summer long, your buddy, you know, sticking it, you know, where, and his reaction to beating you, it's time to cut the cord and, you know, become a team like that. And I think it really did help us approach the next year a little differently and, you know, learn our lessons along the way. And that's what you, you know, you hope you can grow. And that's going back to this game seven. You you don't want to, you know, look back if you're a Maple Leaf on the disappointments of, of last year, but you can learn from it and learn what yeah. did I not do well? Where where did I falter? What was I thinking? And hopefully you can recreate that in a more positive way. Craig, I think Toronto's going to win. Just, just you know, I think they're going to yep. find a way to win this game. If they don't, given how bad the penalty killing has been in that series, yeah, and the fact that they can't get past the Bruins, as good as Boston is, and they're a good team, does any heat get on Mike Babcock here? I, I think it's already percolating, and, you know, he's been deflecting it a bit. 
uh, I think you always have to take some ownership. You know, there there are times when you you don't necessarily make the wrong moves, but your team hasn't been able to change or hasn't been able to find a way to rectify what's gone wrong. And I, I think you do look at the two, the last two wins for the Boston Bruins. They're four for four on the power play, two for two in each of game. Uh, uh, game four and game six. And, and you you can't win a game in that type of scenario. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the heat will be there. I think it uh, puts the fire to the feet for the next year. I, I don't think, Bob, it, it has any chance of making any changes. Right. But uh, I think the timeline, everybody understands with the salaries the way they are, that Toronto's window is pretty, pretty tight. Uh and they still have the Mitch Marner, you know, deal to go on. There, there's another guy who, you know, had two goals in the first game. He had 13 shots in the first three games. He's got one shot in the last three. And you know, those are the kind of things that come back to haunt you. And I've always said the the playoffs are the great equalizer. You know, it, it can rescue a horrible season for you if you play great in the playoffs at the right time, or it can crash down what was a great year. If you don't produce, then your team gets uh, eliminated. So I, I would expect the best out of all the top players, and I don't disagree with you. There's no reason to think Toronto can't win tonight. I just think it's, it's again, is the special team battle going to be the difference like it has been in two of the last three games? All right, one final one for you, Craig. We have another game seven tonight. Yeah. It involves Vegas and the San Jose Sharks, and a lot of people think it involves a ramification for Edmonton with Kelly McCrimmon. Again, you don't know exactly what the protocol every organization deals with it differently lots of teams have let uh, potential candidates interview for positions yeah, Tom, a- after sure. a round of the series after a round is over after two rounds are over whatever right sometimes guys yep. are over at the u18 which by the way kelly mccrimmon is at the uh, world u18 championships right now but just uh I, I'm not betting against Mark Andre Fleury in Game Seven with how they lost Game Six. I've got, you know, I've got lots of respect for Fleury, um, but who are you taking tonight between Vegas and San Jose? You know what? I, I this is a this is a monumental swing too. There's another one. How does Vegas handle being up three to one in that series? And okay, here we go again. We were Cinderella last year. We've basically added a completely top new top line and top uh, power play unit. So. I think the pressure is really on them, and I, I think San Jose might find a way to get a win. You know, I, I, I think that just so much good has happened with Vegas. It's not that they don't know the adversity part of it, but uh, I think this is going to be a tough one to overcome. And so going back into San Jose is not an easy place to win, and I wouldn't be shocked if, if San Jose surprises them and, you know, maybe you get a spectacular performance again by Jones and uh, they find a way to get the, get through this one. Craig, I'll be watching you tonight. Let's have a great uh, great game. Thank you for taking time to join us and switching your schedule around to help us out as well. Okay, Craig? Yeah, thanks Thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. Take All right, care. you bet. That is Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. He does not know where he's going next. Think about that. Like, if the Leafs win, obviously he's staying with the Leafs. But if they don't... Which series are Jim and Craig going to next? Where's Louie going? We don't know these sort of things. Such is life. It is 12.55 in Edmonton. 105 today, the former head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, now the head coach of the Los Angeles Kings, a five-year deal. Todd McClellan coming up. And at 135, Kurt Hill. The- Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. General Manager of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodoin. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.